Hi, everybody. Hey there. How are y'all doing today? Cold, I bet. Cold, yes. <laughs> you know, I hope your house is holding up. We're we're doing okay so far. We have You know, been. we've taken all the precautions. Yep. Susan Hauser said that her furnace went out oh. on Saturday, but the, she found a company that came out really quickly wow. and got it going because you would not want to be without your oh, furnace. Oh, my goodness. No. God. In this weather. So, so far, we've taken all the precautions and... Everything's working, so I hope that's yep. true for people. Yep. I know the sun is great today. That's making a big change. It pretty much dried out every... I mean, it's freezing <laughs> out, below freezing, but it, it completely cleared up our driveway with the sun. It was freezing going to church on Sunday morning. Oh, it wasn't a great how many people goodness, came. That was... nine. Sanctuary was really nice and full on Sunday morning. It was, it was great. It was. So It was kind of amazing, really. We had less people in class uh, in person. Um, maybe some just kind of came in, went back home, but we had a lot of people online. Yeah. So. Yeah, we did. So we're so good. glad that we have this way of doing it. That's right. That it is all can, this. Can stay you home. know what? We have to thank for this. We have COVID to thank. COVID to thank. Yeah, this that's is the one that that's a great irony, isn't in it? In our yes. lives, that happened from COVID. Yeah. yeah, COVID is how we learned to we how we learned to do this and got patty deeply involved yes, in all of this yes. there she is yeah it's great so um we are back into the book of numbers today my class tomorrow i i don't know what to say the church campus is driven by plano isd so we'll know later in the day what plano isd is doing if they close the church campus will be closed and but I don't know if ERCOT's making calls, asking the schools to close, they close one more day to help out with the yes. power or what. So we'll just see. And I will, if if I end up having, if we end up not having my Tuesday class, I will send out plenty of notice. Yes. But for right now, it's on. Sun's out. Things are drying up. It's just cold. And things definitely should be on for Thursday for Scott's class. Supposed to be class. 55. I'm coming in shorts <laughs> no, on Thursday. No, it's going to seem so warm. Are you kidding me? No, it is. It's going to seem warm, shorts. warm. I can promise you that. <clears throat> uh, but it, it I'll bring a little kiddie pool we yes. could put out on yeah. the uh, on the deck. Right, right. right. We, have a, we have almost a completely full Piro Hall, so it should be a it really, should be good. Good, really good Yeah, class. Yeah. You know, you like things to feel... Nice and full, and yes. we know we're independent of Bureau Hall. I know how to work all the can technology you move your there. Thing down just a little bit there. I just want to make sure people can hear us and everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think they can. Okay. I see the green bar up okay, there. Good. I think just we're good. Just want to be 100% sure. There's a long note here from Norm. We have a question regarding Thursday luncheon. I couldn't find it on the church calendar or register. Um, what we will do, Norm, after this is over, we will re we'll email you if you, uh, we should have your regular email. If you get Scott's normal emails, we'll resend out to you what Scott sent out the other day. Yeah, like, which was a direct like last Thursday or something, yes. I sent something out yes. about it, which it is might, the link. It might be in your um, junk folder, but if you didn't get it, and um, we will be so happy just to resend that to you and for anybody else who needs it. Yep. Yep. Okay, very good. Super. <clears throat> and if push comes to shove, you could probably call the church office on Wednesday or yes. tomorrow if, if the church is open or Wednesday if the church is open and register. They, um, I was told Megan Cook is happy to help with all that yes. stuff. So yes. 
Those and this are time, two options. some people have asked me regarding <clears throat> the lunches. It will be a nice boxed lunch. You don't have a choice right now. They're ordering plenty of a bunch of different types of lunches, uh, sandwiches and the like, and you'll be able to just pick yours that day. There should be enough of things that people will be I'll happy. eat anything. People will be happy with the choice. So yeah. uh, I think it's a little easier for them to do it that way. Yep. It'll be fun. It'll be good. All right. All right. So... Let's see. Shall I open us up with a prayer, dear? Please. Anything else you want to add? I don't think so. It's lovely. Okay. Well, let's pray. Gracious Lord, it is cold out, but the sun is shining, and I think most of us, maybe maybe all of us, are weathering this storm. We're all a little skittish and nervous because of what happened two years ago, but so far, so far, so good. Knock on wood. Can't help it. We just pray that you will continue to be with us. Look after all those people who indeed are terribly burdened by the storm and are in danger from it, the homeless people who live in houses that are not well insulated at all. Just get 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 everyone through this, please, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit fill us with lots of energy and enthusiasm as we return to this often strange and disturbing book of numbers all this we pray in Jesus's name amen amen all righty i am going back to my side so friends we are in numbers we are in number 6 um 16 we're going to start at ver at verse 36, but Norm, I have Norm a... said Fort Worth is already closed. The schools are closed for tomorrow. Well, it, we'll like I said, we yes. decided at St. Andrew that a real f efficient way to do it with the preschool and everything else on campus was just to try to follow Plano ISD's yes, lead. And it's really a good way. We used to have this thing where you, we would all be agonizing over it and all this stuff. Just Follow Plano ISD, and, and, it's, and it's worked so far the last few years. Okay, let's talk about the book of Numbers here. Wow. I think last week we were all stunned by this story of... We weren't stunned by the fact that there were people rebelling against Moses and Aaron, or rebelling and rebelling against God, but... God's response to that being to have the earth swallow them up alive, I think caught us all by surprise. Um, I know when I was prepping for class, I was like, wow, what do I do with this? What words of wisdom could I have? And I don't think I really have a lot of words of wisdom. It challenge us, challenges us on how we read the Bible, how we understand the Bible, because the Bible is the Word of God. It is all um, God-breathed. It's all inspired by God. But it is also the writings of ancient people going way back and then coming up into the first century A.D., with the writings from the New Testament, which are all really done within about a 50-year period. So in that ancient world, people's perspectives, their views of things, the way they, the way they interact with the world around them, their understanding of what 
God or gods can and can't do is very different. And um, for me, I read the Old Testament in the light of Christ, which I think, you know, God, Jesus is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. None of the three are all of God, but each one is fully God. And they share one will. They share one purpose. They share one aim. Um, what the Father does, the Son does, Jesus says in the book of John. So I read the Old Testament in the light of of the full revelation of God that we find in Jesus. And that has brought me back to a place where I learned some good lessons from a man called, he, this is what he called himself. He called himself Howard the Jew. Do you remember that, Patty? I sure do. When Howard the Jew came to St. Andrew one time, and Howard the Jew was a dentist. But he had um, a real heart for talking to Christian congregations about Hebrew, about the Old Testament, and about these stories that we don't, you know, if, if you think that every single word written in the Old Testament happened exactly as it's written and read today in English, remember, we, we don't read it in the original Hebrew, right? We read it in English. That, that's very challenging. And I can I still remember that Howard the Jew said, well, because he was asked about this, he said, well, we don't really ask the question, did it happen in this way? We, we ask the question, why was it written this way? Because you, you can't really get at the first one. I mean, there are like, how many years are there separating us from the book of Numbers? Let's say, let's say 1,500, not 1,500, 3,500, maybe 3,200 years. So our ability to feel like we can get really close to the book of Numbers or the book of Leviticus in the sense of anything other than on the page is really, is really inhibited. We, we have the same question when we come to the to to Jesus. You know, I know people like to imagine all kinds of things about Jesus and their television shows and their movies and there's presentations and the Gospels provide some basic storyline and then people go off and they create all kinds of connections and things and imagine all kinds of stuff about Mary Magdalene and Jesus and... But I don't know. That isn't really the way. What we have are the words. And the words should be sufficient for us. This is God's choice. God's choice was to inspire these writings and then give them to us. And so why, was, why, why do we have this story in Numbers? of a rebellious people and an utterly ferocious response from God. I can think of a couple of reasons. First of all, 
It's a warning to us about rebellion against God. Rebellion against God is the story of the Garden of Eden. All is good until what happens? They decide they know better and they rebel against God. There's one thing God asks them not to do and by golly, they're going to do it. They're going to rebel against God the same way a four-year-old rebels against its parents. And rebellion is the story of Mount Sinai and the book of Exodus when Moses is on the mountaintop and the people are down at the bottom and they rebel against God and they make this stupid golden calf and they worship it. And that's rebellion. And it's so serious that God says to Moses, I don't, I can't go on with, with you. I will send an angel to go on with you and the people because I, you, the people will be destroyed if I do. They will be consumed by my, my holiness, my wrath, um, God's righteousness. Like as I've always taught it, if like flying too close to the sun. So rebellion is now being repeated. Well, right? Then they, the rebellion is now being repeated in the book of Numbers. And it will be repeated again. It is the sad story of the Old Testament. Rebellion against God. An unwillingness to do what the people have committed themselves to do. And so here in the middle of the book of Numbers, in chapter 15, in chapter 16, we get this rebellion against God. We get this rebellion against Moses and Aaron who were God's choice and look at the consequences for the rebellious. They are cut out of the body as if they were a cancer. And maybe that's one way to think about it. Um, maybe they, maybe their view, their rebellion is that dangerous to God's what are we calling it in the sermon series right now? The Missio Dei, the mission of God. God's mission to restore humanity to a right relationship with God. Well, God has chosen to do it through humanity, through Abraham, through people. Perhaps it is fragile because of that. And so it's a warning. It's also a teaching about the holiness of God. There's much of that in this portion of the Old Testament. God is holy and we are not. And we cannot approach God without being prepared. It's what the priests are there for. We can't be casual against God. God in that way can be dangerous to an unholy people to an unholy person. The same way the sun, which provides us life, and today is actually warming things up quite nicely outside and melting the snow that we had today and making the bricks in the house warm again. That sun is dangerous. We don't have to, how close would we have to get to that sun before it started to do us real harm? People spend, who spend too much time in the sun as it is, get what? Skin, skin cancers cancer. and yes. things. So, so 
golly, God is holy, God is righteous, God is good, God is loving, God is merciful. But that doesn't mean God is one of us. Not in this way. Jesus became incarnate, yes. But God is holy. God is holy. And the people have to be taught that and they have to respect that. And the rebellion was led by people who did not respect that. And it cost them their lives. You know, I have no idea. Like if I had a time travel machine and I could go back and find in the desert the, you know, these Hebrews who have run from Egypt and gone down to Mount Sinai and now they're on their way northward to Canaan. I don't know what, I don't really know what I would find. What I have is what is written for me by these people, by these people. And there is in Scripture certain things that are called, or at least I and many others, call narrative theology. By that I mean, let me give you an example from the New Testament. In the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus dies on the cross, the tombs, it, Matthew has this little paragraph, the tombs are opened in Jerusalem, and the dead people come out, and they're walking all over town. And you finish reading that, and you say to yourself, well, that is quite the occurrence. And is it in Mark? No. Is it in Luke? No. Is it in John? No. Is anything written about it anywhere else in all of human writings? The answer is no. This would be an astonishing event. So, are we to take it as something that a time machine could, could find? Or is Matthew using a little bit of a story to convey the truth of resurrection? You see? Because of what Jesus accomplishes on the cross, the grave will not hold us. The grave does not hold Jesus. The grave will not hold us. Is that what Matthew's doing? I'm inclined to think so. And, and Jews, we know, did sometimes reflect on Scripture in that way. So, you know, maybe that's what we have here in Numbers. All I know is I liked at the time what Howard the Jew said. <laughs> you don't always ask, did it happen in this way? You ask, well, why is it written in this way? And that has been helpful to me, at least over the, over the years. And maybe it will be to you, because we are not done with this rebellion quite yet, even though, um, remember, 250 men filled their censers. These would be bowls with incense. And they're going to go, I guess they're thinking they're going to go be priests themselves. They're just sort of taking it into their own hands to do what God has designated Aaron and his sons to do. Even the Levite tribes are not the priests. They're the helpers of the priests, but they are not the priests. And now these 250 dudes, they're going to do it themselves, you know? Um, we're Methodists, and in Methodists, we respect... Um, the ordained, that they 
are not just called by God to this, but that their ordination puts them in a place to mediate with God things like the sacraments. That's why ordained individuals such as Arthur or Scott Anderson or Lauren or Kim, they are the ones who when communion is served, there's a portion of the communion liturgy that is the blessing and the lifting up of the elements. They are the ones who do that. If You know, I, I assisted Robert in communion for many, many, many years. He always did that part. I never did that part because I'm not ordained. Um, same way in baptism. I have, I have assisted at dozens and dozens of baptisms over the last 20 years. But it's always the ordained who pronounce the baptism with the water over the child. Um, and I have always respected that. I've always respected that. And it's one of the good things about the Methodist Church that we do respect that. Because um, I think there are some churches where that is given a bit of lip service. And, you, and I think inevitably when it does, what happens, the sacraments are diminished. Because this is almost sacramental, what's happening here, right? The censers, these are these bowls and the incense and stuff. And so these 250 guys are just taking it over upon themselves. And it didn't work out for them. Verse 35, And fire came from the Lord and consumed the 280 men who were offering the incense. No, you don't do it this way. Lesson, 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 lesson. So, verse 36, Yahweh said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to remove the censers from the charred ruins, remains of those guys, and scatter the coals some distance away, for the censers are holy. They have been consecrated. They have been set apart for God's service. They are these visible reminders that God is holy and we are not. God is holy and we are not. Verse 38, the censors of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. And, and I just think we live in a time when people don't take sin very seriously. You know, these, these men died that day. What happened to them then? Put it, in, put it in the context of how we understand these things to work, you know, in light of Christ. Well, these 250 men <coughs> were then presented to God. Death was not their end, as death is not my end, or your end, or anybody's end. Right? There's a life after death and a life after life after death. And so what happens to them is really up to God. But their lives on this earth, with their families, it came to an end that day because of what they did. And it seems, I think, to many people 
I'm sure like, gosh, I mean, I mean what real harm's done? Well, I think part of what this is trying to say to us is that oh, great harm is done in this. And the people, they need to learn. Or this project of God's is never, is never going to succeed. It is never going to achieve its purpose, which is the reconciliation of humanity with God. So God tells Eleazar, who is he? Eleazar is the oldest of Aaron's sons. And he's a priest because he is the priesthood is Aaron and his sons. Not all the Levites. Aaron is a Levite. Eleazar is a Levite. But it's Aaron and his sons. All the rest of the Levites, they have been charged with helping Aaron and his sons with the care, the movement of, the setting up of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, all the other, you know, accoutrements of of um, this priestly system. So in verse thirty-eight, go find the censers in the in this whole big fiery burnt area, the censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the censers into sheets. Well, these would be sheets of metal now. To overlay the altar. Wow, right? Wow. For they were presented before Yahweh and have become holy. They, the censers, were consecrated to God, set apart for God. That's a key element of what it means, what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. Um, Peter says to the Christians, you are a chosen race, a holy nation. What does that mean? A people. We are a people set apart from the world at large for God and for God's purposes and for God to use as God needs in the accomplishment of the Missio Dei. You see how it all fits together? Yes, sir. Am I being clear, Patty? Yes. I hope so. So hammer. The, so they're going to take these these bowls. They're going to rehammer them, and then the um, they're going to uh, overlay the altar with them. And this is supposed to be last line, uh, verse thirty-eight. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. A sign of what? Look what happened. Look what you did. You can't abuse the priesthood. You can't abuse this relationship with God. Or indeed, you will all be dead in your sins. Because, right? And that's the way it is. What happens in the garden when Adam and Eve are cast out? God tells them, you know, if you, if you do this, you know, you will surely die. Death comes into the picture because of the rebellion, and it is death, unending death, final death, that God is seeking to fix. Because it was not God's intention. It was not God's intention. Okay. So, Anything about all of that I said in the last 
Dewani five minutes. No comments there, Seth. Okay. I see a thumbs up. That's from Yvonne. Uh, from Yvonne. <laughs> okay. Now, so let's look at verse 41. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed Yahweh's people, they said. This is not surprising to me. I mean, we don't learn well and we don't learn quickly. Verse 42, But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. So picture it this way. Here's the, uh, here's the little diagram again of the tabernacle. So there's a mob of folks who are heading toward the tabernacle, right? They're going to go there and they're going to straighten out Moses and Aaron. They're just, they're just not listening to God. And what happens? The cloud descends on the tent of meeting. That is, that is the manifestation of God's presence. So the mob goes up and all of a sudden this cloud descends and <laughs> okay all right i gotta fix something here i don't know anyway all right never mind i'm going back there okay so in the assembly this is surely surely not everyone it would you couldn't fit but this big group i'm going to call them a mob Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and Yahweh said to Moses, Get away from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once. And Moses and Aaron fell face down. So God says, Look, it's almost like God, so, all right, you can't, I have to be careful on my words, because I almost said, you know, like, I'm, like I, I can read God's mind, but what God said at Mount Sinai, when they made the golden calf, was God said, I can't go with you. These people have stiff necks. They're going to rebel, and they're going to get consumed by my wrath, by my holiness. And so what is playing out here? They leave Mount Sinai, headed to the promised land. They get up there. They don't trust God. They chicken out. They're condemned to wandering the desert for 40 years. And now they are still rebellious. They are a stiff-necked, rebellious people. And it seems they are on the verge of coming to their end. So what is to be done? Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer, Aaron, your bowl, and put incense in it, along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. So as the priest, the priest Aaron is going to go through this ritual to make atonement for them. Atonement is actually an easy word. Well, 
There's a ton of theology behind it, but the basic part of it is pretty easy to understand. It is a ritual to put the people at one with God. See how it works? Atonement, at one at one So Aaron, Moses tells Aaron to get the bowl, put the incense in it, put the coals in it, and intervene. Wrath has come out from the Lord, Moses says. The plague has started. It started. Hurry up, Aaron. We got to do something. This is this is this is nine one one. This is a five alarm fire. We got to stop this. We got to intervene. Moses is, does this. Sometimes he talks with God. Here he's intervening in an action, in a ritual. Verse 47, so Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. Now, we don't know what kind of plague this is. I don't know. It doesn't matter, right? What's happening? It is that. Indeed, what God said would happen in Exodus 33, it is coming to pass. Because of the nature of these people and their unwillingness to be obedient to God, despite their many promises to do so. So you can see Aaron hurrying over, and he's like, got the sense, and he's going to make atonement for them. He's going to, like, I guess, pray for mercy or whatever it exactly is, which we don't know. And why don't we know? Because all we have are the words. You know, I read a lot of commentaries, reading a lot of them, four numbers here, because, wow. But even the scholars, they make this guess, and they make that guess, and maybe it's this, and maybe it's that. Because really, all we have are the words. It's 3,500 years ago. We don't know all of their customs and practices. We just don't. Nobody's got films or movies or videos of any of, any of it. But it's clear that Aaron is going to, going to seek atonement. Verse 48. He, Aaron, stood between the living and the dead, between those who were still alive and those who had passed. And the plague stopped. But... Notice the exactness of the number, 14,700 people. How many people are there according to the book of Numbers and the book of Exodus? Two million. We've talked before about what do we make of those numbers. That's, that's a vast number of people. Two million is, is hyperbole in that. There has to be. But a lot of people died that day. 14,700 people died from the plague. In addition to those who had died because of Korah, that was the swallowing up into the earth part that we did last week. Yes. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting for the plague had stopped. Wow. Is that dramatic or what? It's pretty dramatic. Yeah, it is. And But at the heart of it, it's about rebellion against God. It is about... Moses and Aaron intervening on the people's behalf. Aaron is a priest. 
what is the function of the priestly, what's the purpose of the priestly system? The priests, the sacrifices, all that stuff. It is to enable an unholy people to exist with the holy God. The atonement. Right? That, that's what the purpose is, to enable that to, to, to happen. It does, it's not making things right. Sometimes I, when I've taught it, I've called it the priestly system like a splint. You know, if you break your leg, you can put a splint on it that is helpful because it enables you to kind of get around, but you're not healed. you got to wait for that to happen. Well, that's what kind of the priestly system is. It's like a splint. It enables God to dwell with these unholy people. Um, but you can't read these books without realizing that it's fragile. That it's fragile. And when you, the more you get to know the Old Testament, the more you will see how tragic a story it is of a rebellious people who do not heed God's word, who do who are not obedient, who don't strive to love God and love others, culminating in an and it puts God in an impossible situation. God has said all these wonderful things are going to happen, but the the people are not; they don't do their part. And so, what does God have to do? Provide one faithful Jew by the name of Jesus, who will love God and love others every day and in every way. So, wow. Now, here's the good part. With the end of chapter 16, we're past those sorts of dramatic moments, at least for a while. Okay? So, any thoughts? Questions? So, these four, from the time that Moses says to Aaron, hurry up, go, you know, go right now, go and run into the middle of the assembly in that short little period the 14,000 yes. died and so like if it were on a movie screen yes. it would it would be like this this thing starting to spread through this through the crowd and yes. through the Almost the like whole the whole assembly of Israel but Aaron's got to get the censer he's got to put the incense in he's got to put the coals in he's got to run over and he stands between the people who have already died because of whatever this is and the living and the living yes. so if you've seen the movie the ten commandments the one actually with charlton heston the real moses <laughs> how when the plague of the firstborn comes how is it depicted It's like, it's like dry ice and the right the smoke, the heavy smoke that comes over, and moves along the ground. And when it comes to the doorway of a Hebrew family who have spread the blood of a lamb on their door, around their door frame, then it moves on. Yeah, you know. Wild. Wild, really. Just so. Why is it written in this way? Well, I think we have a sense of that. I hope so. I feel like I do. Um, even though I'm, even though I'm still 
not quite sure what to make of it. So, for chapter 17, friends, anything you may else want to add? Well, I got one more drink. The air is so dry, I can't drink enough water. All right, I don't see anything. So Yahweh said to Moses, Now, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them. Staff, big stick. One from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, God says, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, and so on and so on. Okay? Verse 4. Place them, place these staffs in the tent of meeting, in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law. So let me go back to this. See if I can... There we go. So there's the tent of meeting. That's that's the tent in the back. Okay? So they're to go in through the front part. And they're going to go into that little main, like, little living room area there. And before they get to the curtain that separates everything from the Ark of the Covenant, they're going to go in there with these 12 staffs. And they're going to place the 12 staffs in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I meet with you, Moses. Because that member Moses goes before the Ark of the Covenant and I'll, that's like the portal to God's dimension. That's where Moses goes to meet with God. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So it's like this is something that God is going to do to demonstrate to all these stiff-necked people who is God's choice for this. Because the people have been saying, remember if we go back to like, that's probably chapter 15, the complaint was, well, like, who are you guys? You're not any better than the rest of us. Who are you guys? Switch. Thank you, darling. I know you Switch. were talking. You were making these faces. Wonderful hand, hand, gestures. hand gestures. Yes. And I didn't you want everybody them to all. miss out on that. <laughs> I can't help it. I get enthusiastic about this. I know you do, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. The staff belonging, verse 5, the staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Because poor Moses, he takes the brunt of this. He took the brunt of it at, at Mount Sinai. He's taken the brunt of this in the desert. He takes the brunt of it everywhere. So God is really doing a, you know, a big favor for, for Moses in that way. So Moses spoke to the Israelites, and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. So Moses placed the staffs before Yahweh in the tent of the covenant law. I guess he just goes in, he just lays them all down on the floor. The next day, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, because Aaron is from the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded. Wow. I'm not sure I know what the difference is, but anyway, 
sprouted but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Wow. Almonds are an important symbol of goodness in, in Israel. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from Yahweh's presence, right? Because there at the Ark of the Covenant is where Moses goes to meet God. That is the, that is the heart of God's presence with his people. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from Yahweh's presence to all the Israelites, to all the Israelites. This is for the whole assembly of God. They looked at them, they looked at the staffs, and each of the leaders took his own staff. And Yahweh then said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant law to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. So now there are two things, two changes, right? The metal from the censers of the 250 dudes who were going to take all of this over for themselves was hammered flat and now and now is uh, is covering the altar. Yes. And now Aaron's staff is going to be there as a reminder of what? Whew, to not be rebellious. To obey God and to respect Moses and recognize that he is the bringer of God's word. So be obedient to God and hence to Moses. So um, then God says to Moses, this will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Right? There you go. Moses did just as Yahweh commanded him. And the Israelites said to Moses, <laughs> We're going to die! We're going to die! We're going to die! We're lost! We're all lost! You know, what do they, what do they understand about themselves? That they are a mess. Yeah, I was just going to use the same exact word. That they are, they're just they're a, a mess. mess. You know? Yes. Are they different from humanity writ large? No. No. But at least they realize it. For a moment. Oh, yeah, I know. But For a still, moment. at least at they this moment, they're realizing, yep. we'll die. We're lost. We're all lost. Anyone even, even comes near the tabernacle of Yahweh will die. Are we all going to die, 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 die? No. The answer is no. Just do as God is teaching you. Right? Um... When you read this, when I read this, I get a deeper appreciation for the sternness of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. The Pharisees see themselves as the keepers of the law. This, this law, that if it was truly kept, would enable God then to fulfill all of God's promises. And so the people have demonstrated that they haven't kept the law. And, that, and now in Jesus' day, the Pharisees are striving mightily to have keep people keep the law. It's all written down, isn't it? 
I mean, some of this detail, we're going to get back to, back to that a little bit more in chapter 18. Some of it is in staggering detail. You can't plead ignorance. You can't play, plead you didn't know. Um, one of the things that religion scholars of religion know is that we humans are attracted to religions which have lots of rules and regulations because they provide certainty. The rules and regulations might be tricky to keep, but if you keep them, and they're all spelled out for you, then you will you'll be in the good place. It's, um, if you read people who study um, Mormonism, it's one of the attractions. Um, it's very detailed in Mormonism, very spelled out, and if you just do it all, then someday you'll be a god and get your own planet and the rest of it. But that's attractive to a lot of people. <clears throat> um, and there's really nothing loosey-goosey about the law of Moses, about the Old Testament law. It's, it's, there's a lot of detail in it most of which I think makes sense if you read, take the time to slow down and just read it and, and sort out, well, what do I do if my neighbor's oxen falls into a hole that I dug? You know, it's there. The answer's there. So, we've had the budding of Aaron's staff. Another classic moment. So, <clears throat> can I ask... Do you think there's more more meaning to that than it was obviously like a miracle that out of this dead stick would come this new life, the, the sprouting of, you know, the almond plant and blossoming and actually making almonds? You know, I mean, that's kind of miraculous that that So happen. So let's talk about that for a minute. So what do you think, what in the previous stories, what were we encountering? A lot of death. Mm-hmm. Because of the rebellion. And now what is the staff representing? New life. New life. 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 Just stop the grumbling. Stop rebelling against God. Remember who God is and remember who you are, people. And so it, it does represent life. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anything else, Patty? Well, I guess I was just wondering that, that God chose this particular miracle, then told Moses to go put it back in the tent outside the, the veil, I'm guessing, where yeah. you know that others could see it. Why did the, um, the rebellious ones find this as such a threat? Why were they right away screaming, we're going to die because of this? Maybe, I mean, why didn't they see it as God is giving us another chance again with new life and... Well, that's such a good question. I, personally, if I, I'm guessing they are reacting in this way because they don't trust God, really, okay. and they know what they are like. And despite the budding of Aaron's staff, they think what all this really boils down to is, you know, you come within a mile of the tabernacle, you're going to be consumed by fire. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe something like that. But that's a good question because it's 
it's kind of an odd moment when they start yelling, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. Yes, instead of like falling on their knees and saying, thank you, thank, thank you, thank you, God, for giving us right. once again another chance that we don't deserve. I don't know. I these just... are kind of, these people have demonstrated their ungratefulness. Yes, that's true. Right? Yes. You know, we, a lot of, our world now and our, our culture gives a lot of lip service to gratitude, but... I don't. I don't know how much people. I don't know that people are nearly as grateful as they should be for the lives they're given and the the lives that we're we're all given. Um, life is treated too too cheaply. So, so after all of that, let's say you're compiling the book of Numbers. You're the one who's got all these, got these things, and, and you're 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 writing some of it, and you're editing it, and you're compiling it, and you. So what do you need now? Maybe what you need is some time spent with the priesthood, because this all started because basically those guys, the rebellious ones, thought they could just they could do what Moses and Aaron do. So now we're going to turn to some more time with some of the duties and responsibilities of the priests and the duties and responsibilities of the other tribes with regard to the priests. Because it's such an essential part of what constitutes Israel. This is a very good New Testament point. That when you come to the days of Jesus... The beating heart, pump, 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 blood in, blood out, pump, pump, pump. The beating heart of the, of the religion of the Jews is the temple in Jerusalem. Yes. It isn't Torah. It isn't the synagogues in the various little towns and cities. It isn't the rabbis. It isn't the Pharisees. The beating heart of it, boom, 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 blood in, blood out, is the temple in Jerusalem with the priests and the sacrifices. That's, that's it. You know, that's, that's the center. And so, when, 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the temple is destroyed, Judaism needs a I never thought of these words before. Judaism, as a religion, has to have a heart transplant. Mm. They lost the beating heart, which was the temple. It's gone. And now, what takes its place? Faith in Jesus. Well, I'm just talking about Ju in Judaism oh, alone. Sorry. Okay. In sorry. Judaism alone, we'll set Jesus aside for the, for the Jews, because they're the ones who lost their temple. Um in 70 AD. Yes. The Christians didn't care about it anymore. The Jews lost their temple in 70 AD. And so what replaces the temple is the beating heart? Torah. And the rabbis would say, ah, where two or three gather to study Torah, there is God. When the temple was around, it would be where two or three or 500 or 1,000 gather in the temple, there is God. So, yeah, I never thought of that, quite that, that heart transplant thing, but I kind of like that 
I'll live with that for a while. Yes. See how much I like it? <laughs> if I like it a lot, I'll reuse it. So, now, chapter 18, verse 1. Yahweh said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your family, so these are his descendants, Aaron's, are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. Isn't that like life? You know, they're the priests. They are the ones called by God to this service. Well, there are responsibilities that go with that. They are going to be responsible for protecting the sanctuary and protecting the priesthood. They will be responsible for offenses against the sanctuary and the tabernacle and against the priesthood. They're getting the job, but there's a dark side to it. Right? It's kind of like the whole Jewish, the whole Jewish story. There's a, the, the Jews are God's chosen people in that God came to Abraham and said, through your family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Okay, great. So go all through, through the Old Testament. They're the chosen people. But there's a dark side to it because they're given the law of Moses. Great. Now we know what God wants us to do. But the dark side is that, that they can't they can't plead ignorance anymore. Sin becomes evident. It becomes clear. It's the difference between driving too fast and breaking the speed limit. We could disagree about what driving too fast is on a particular road at a particular time, but we all know what the speed limit is. And if you break the speed limit, there are consequences. All right? So now Aaron and his descendants, his sons and their sons and their sons, are going to be responsible in a deep and serious way. Verse 2. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you. Important word. Assist. The priesthood belongs to Aaron and his sons and their sons and their sons. The Levites are... The other Levites... Because Aaron's a Levite, the other Levites, the other members of the Levite tribe, they're going to assist Aaron and his sons and their sons. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. They are to be responsible to you and are to perform all the duties of the tent but they must not go near the furnishings of the sanctuary of the altar. Otherwise, both they and you will die. Okay. So just think about what we read before. What God is saying. Look, you are the priests. You have, you have the things that you're responsible for. There are areas in this tent of meeting that only you can go to. The other Levites are going to help you with all of this, but they can't do what you do. They can't even go where you can go. Remember I said if I go back to um, this slide, 
that the whole camp would surround this slot, the, the, this tabernacle, and the closer you get to it, the more restricted things become. Gentiles can't enter the camp. Um, only Levites can enter the tabernacle. Only Aaron and his sons can actually go inside the tent of meeting and handle the furnishings and all that other stuff. Because you're getting ever closer to the very holiest of holies, the, the place of God's presence. The place of God's presence. Scott, is the yeah. tent of meeting in that particular um, drawing, is it the entire brown building is inside that? Is that... It's the tent. The tent of meeting is the tent. The whole tent. The, the whole tent. Okay. And then the holiest of holies is way in the back numbers, like one and two right. and three. Right, way is. back there. So, so this is allowing then all these other Levites to be inside that tent, but not to go past the veil. Right, because the other Levites, if we go back a few chapters, remember they have to be the ones who come in and take this whole thing down and get it ready yes. to move it, and they got to go out there into the... <laughs> go out there in the yard and get that the furnishings and the big barbecue pit and move all that stuff and pack it up and put it in carts. There's a lot of work to be done. But the tent of meeting is the actual tent. It is like, uh, I'll throw in next week, I will throw in the picture of the temple courtyards and temple in Jesus' day. You've seen it a thousand times, Patty. Yes. Many of these yes. folks have. The the tent here is the temple proper okay. that stands up tall. And then around it, there are all these courtyards and stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. So, one more word about the priests. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, who is going into the temple to do the duties one day in chapter 1? Zechariah. Mm -hmm. Zechariah is a priest. So he's going in to do the priestly duty which could not be given to just any dude off the street. It has to be done in a very exacting way. God is a God of order, not disorder. A God of order, not chaos. So, verse 4, speaking of these, the, these Levites, they are to join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting, all the work at the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. So everybody's going to have their jobs, they're going to have their spaces, but don't mix them up. Verse 5, you are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar, so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. God doesn't want his people to get consumed. God doesn't want us to fly so close to the sun that we burn up because we're not ready, ready for it. That's not God's desire. But you, if you fly too close to the sun, it's going to happen. So you have to be taught not to fly too close to the sun, like Icarus, right? To, you know, anyway. Verse 6, I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, Aaron and the rest, dedicated 
to Yahweh to do the work at the tent on meeting. God has set this all up. He's got the people ready to go. God is taking care of this. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. That would be the curtain behind which sits the Ark of the Covenant. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. The boundaries are to be respected. Respected. And if they're treated casually and inappropriately, there are dire consequences. Um, sometimes when I teach this, I'll use the metaphor of training wheels. You know, so some of this is training wheels, trying to get the people to understand that God is holy and they are not. And just as Zicharias needed to learn that he couldn't fly too close to the sun, so these people have to learn. But they can't casually just kind of walk up buddy to buddy um, into the presence of the living God. Because they are not ready. They are not holy. All right. So then Yahweh said to Aaron, remember God is talking to Aaron here, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. <coughs> All the holy offerings the Israelites give me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. This is how Aaron and the priests are going to be supported by the portion of offerings that are devoted to God because there's different kinds of offerings. Um, you might take an animal in and uh, slaughter it, cook it. Part of it is eaten by the people. Part of it is, that it is given to God. Well, what happens to the part that's given to God? Well, that part is going to go to support the priests. They have to live too. Right? You are to have the part of the most holy offerings that is kept from the fire. From all the gifts they bring me as most holy offerings, whether grain or sin or guilt offerings. Those are three different types and they entail different kinds of offerings. A guilt offering um, uh, uh, <clears throat> and they would, just generally speaking, if you were making an offering because of a sin that, that you committed, what you had to bring would depend upon your economic level. If you are rich, you might have to bring a bull. If you are not so rich, you might have to bring a goat. If you were really poor, you might have to bring two doves. Okay, and that would be it. Um, when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple for the cleansing of Mary after birth, this is a ritual cleansing of Mary after birth, they only bring two doves because they are poor. They are from a village called Nazareth, a long way from Jerusalem, and they are poor. So, so, um, 
that's a nice little piece of God's law right here, that the that the offering, the nature of the offering would vary based upon the economic status of the person. It's kind of like a progressive tax structure, right? The rich people pay more taxes yes. per dollar than poor people do. Okay. Verse 10. Eat it as something most holy. Right? This has been offered to God, this food and stuff that's going to come to the priest. Don't, don't treat it casually. Treat it as something most holy. Every male shall eat it. You must regard it as holy. It's been given to God. It's an offering to God, and it's coming to you, priests. Don't do it casually. Understand what you're getting. Verse 11. This also is yours. Whatever is set aside from the gifts of all the wave offerings of the Israelites. This is this thing where we're not sure what it is. Um, Jacob Milgram, a uh, uh, noted Old Testament scholar, calls it the elevated offerings. It's something that seems to be lifted up and then offered to God. He says, I give this to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. Everyone in your household who is ceremonial clean may eat it. So it's just a continuation, really, of the, of the preceding. God says, I give you all the finest olive oil and all the finest new wine and grain they give Yahweh as the first fruits of their harvest. The priests are going to get the best stuff. Why are, they get, why are the priests getting the best stuff? Because the way the offerings work, the people are to bring their best to God. Not the leftovers. You know, not, not the crummiest little uh, goat, goat you got in the yard, but your prize goat. You're to give God your best. You can preach that all day, can't you? You're to bring God your best. And so, because a portion of that is going to go to the priests, God is saying to Aaron, well, you guys are going to eat well. All of the land's first fruits that they bring to Yahweh will be yours. Everyone in your house hold to a ceremonial clean may eat it. Everything that in Israel, everything in Israel that is devoted to Yahweh is yours. The first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Yahweh is yours. Whoa. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. Okay, that means that's what happens with Jesus. So Jesus is taken into the temple and they would redeem him back out. Jesus would be a firstborn son to, to Joseph and Mary. So they're going to, so they pay, I don't know, two and a half shekels, five shekels, whatever, to redeem Jesus back. So they give them to God, and then they pay to get them back. So here, this is all going to the priests, except the people can get it all back with the payment of some some kind of shekels um, for these. First, this is the firstborn of of the flock, or the firstborn of I don't know the litter or whatever they are.
verse 15, the first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Lord is yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. My iPad is flying all over the place here. What verse am I in, Patty? You are in verse 16, towards the end of 16. Yeah, okay. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. Okay, so at, for the cost of 100 geras of silver, you can redeem your son back. And that is what Joseph and Mary are, have to do in the temple. In Luke chapter 2. We'll just go a little. Now, I think we'll, I think we'll just. Let's do with this next paragraph. Then we'll stop. But you must not redeem the firstborn of a cow, a sheep, or a goat. They are the clean, ceremonial, clean animals. They are holy. Splash their blood against the altar and burn their fat as a food offering, an aroma pleasing to Yahweh. Their meat is to be yours, just as the breast of the wave offering and the right thigh are yours. Those are portions of the animal. Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to Yahweh, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt, before Yahweh, for both you and your offspring, a covenant of salt. Well, what does salt do? Salt preserves, yes. right? We can salt a ham mm -hmm. and preserve it. So, what does this probably mean? Again, it's just guessing. Scholars don't agree, but I find the most attractive idea. Simply, it is an everlasting covenant of salt because salt preserves. Um, so these are, this is all about establishing the relationship really between the priests and the rest of the tribes. And when we come back next week, we'll do a little more of this. I, we may, I don't know if there's as much we'll skip here. We're kind of, we're kind of smoking our way through here pretty well. I'm finding some of this more interesting than I thought I would. <laughs> How does that sound for the teacher to say? That's very good. Is that all right? You know, one thought that came to me was, how did the other 11 tribes feel about this? Ah. That you would think there had to be a lot of animosity, maybe some distrust, maybe... So God told you, we're giving our very best to God, but actually chapter you and your sons are eating it. Chapter 15 and 16. It's what was that all about? Who picked, what, what does Cora and the other guy folks say? Who picked you? We're as good as you are. Who picked you? We can do this. We don't need you. Who picked you? You're right. See? Yeah. You're right. Everybody's given up their best. Oh, envy and is so common, yes, isn't it? Yes, it you is. You remember the, uh, in that book, the um, definition of envy? Um, you feeling bitter when others have it better. 
better. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. so good. Feeling bitter when others have it better. Yes. And if you want to see it in action, watch the movie Amadeus. Salieri is envious. Yeah, he is. He is. He's envious. And it's doom. It's doomed. Okay. It's, up, it's over to you, Patty. Okay. Thanks, guys. We had a really good turnout in class today. Glad that everybody was able to catch us. And I agree with you. Um, numbers has always been something for me, which I thought was going to be so completely boring. Right. And it's not at all. It's not at all. It's um, really just learning more of the story. And seeing how all the pieces yes. fit together. And we're going to, when we come back to next week, we're going to be getting to the red heifer, which I still see about online. And the red heifer will connect, connect it to the book of Hebrews. Wow. Yes. And Jesus. So. Thank you, Don. Anyway. Very sweet. <laughs> all righty. Guys, we hope that we see you back next week. We hope many of you will join tomorrow. We are still not sure if we'll just be online or if we'll be at St. Andrew. But Well, we won't be. if We're not having class if oh, I can't do it in person. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So if Plano ISD is closed, we will not have class. Right. But if it's open, we'll just, we'll just we move will. on in the Book of Acts yep. the next week. We, we it's too much fun to do it in person. I checked just a few minutes ago, and nothing had been announced okay. yet. From all the schools west, um, many of the smaller ISDs and, and Fort Worth and... All of that are closed, but they so may we'll have keep an eye on it. So if you course. see that Plano ISD is closed, even if you don't hear from me, you know that we're not having class because yes. that's the church will be closed. Right, right. I know usually Frisco closes. If Plano closes, I saw Frisco would have an answer by five thirty a.m. tomorrow morning. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. It's too I harsh know. on the parents. Yes, it is. It is because people have to know <laughs> who they're gonna who's gonna watch their kids. Anyway. Let's go in. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we get to study your word. And we thank you, God, for bringing these great stories of numbers to life um, for us. Um, with Truly, with Scott's reading it and his interpretation, um, it just helps so much, Lord, making something that would maybe seem kind of dull and dry on the page. But the stories are so deep, God, and it's just more ways that we get to understand um, your just truly, truly um, endless hope of having a relationship, God, with your people. We pray that you'd bring us all back safely next week. We pray, God, that you'd watch over each of us, God, in this very, very cold weather. Um, and please, as Scott said earlier, please watch over those, Lord, that are so less fortunate. We We can't even imagine living, you know, in in such terrible conditions when the weather is so, so cold. Please watch over each one of them, Lord. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Adios, everybody. And don't forget, everybody, too, that Scott's class, I know it was getting full. There was already over 80 people signed up a couple days ago for the Thursday class in uh, Piro Hall. You just need to go online and go to Second Act and just sign up for your uh Thursday. That's and this I'll send Thursday. the link to Norm as soon as I finish yes. up here. Yes. If anyone okay. else needs a, a link, just send us a text or something, and we'll send you the link. It went maybe an email, so I can just hit the email return. Because this Scott sent out a link um, last week at the end of last week, just in case anybody was having a problems getting to the link to sign up for the class. And again, it's Thursday from ten to twelve is kind of a teaching, and then after that, it's a box lunch. 
Okay. Adios, everybody. Bye, everybody. Stay warm. Warm.